I left the one I love on one of the thousand islands. Arthur Godfrey was a 50s TV and radio icon, but not such a great tour leader. You're on the Soundbeat. So I row, 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 row up the river St. Lawrence, and I'm hollering, Florence. Oh, where can you be? Where, oh, where, where, oh, where can she be? You're listening to the Thousand Islands song, a Columbia 78 recorded in 1947. The archipelago lies in the St. Lawrence River on the U.S.-Canadian border. There are actually about 1,800 islands, each passing the stringent criteria of A, being above water level year-round, B, having an area greater than one square foot, and C, bearing at least one living tree. I mustn't take a nap, gotta watch the map. That was island 793. That island mentioned there, 793, is an actual one, belonging to Arthur Godfrey. That's right, it was gifted to him by Grant Mitchell of the Thousand Islands Admiralty in appreciation of the song. For more on the story, visit soundbeat.org or check out our Facebook page right now. Soundbeat is produced at the Belfer Audio Archive, Syracuse University Libraries. I'm Brett Barry. Howl Island is at the top of the St. Lawrence, looking downriver at the rest of those thousand islands. The Howl Island Ferry runs 24 hours on demand. It has room for three cars on it, and it takes five minutes to cross the water to the eight-mile-long and three-mile-wide island. There's no scheduled crossing. The ferryman is on duty 24 hours a day, and when you show up, he takes you across. No charge. There's no grocery stores on the island, no bars, 7-Elevens, movie theaters, no restaurants, motels, gas stations, no businesses at all. There's a tiny Catholic church and an even tinier library. The closest town is right across the river in Gananoque, which is about as exciting as Carpinteria, but smaller. If you're looking for excitement, you don't go to Howl Island. It's always been an island just about farms and farmers. French voyagers sometimes stopped there in the mid-1800s to wait out the winter when the river froze. You'll see a lot of French names in the people who settled there. In the 1840s, the Irish came to farm, so that's when the Irish names started to appear. But times have changed. There aren't many farms left on Howe Island anymore. A lot of the islanders have either died or sold out. Now you've got people coming in from Toronto to live on the island part-time or to retire there. With its privacy and untouched beauty, the island is going for good money. Land that used to be cheap now is filled with million-dollar properties. When Eleanor Lafleur was in her teens, she crossed over the St. Lawrence from Wolf Island to marry the widower living on Howe Island. He was 20 years her senior, the first white man to ever live on the island. His name was William Cassidy. Cassidy was just a teenager, a young soldier in the War of 1812, when he was stationed there to protect the island from Americans cutting down the forests for timber. He was there all by himself in a little cabin that he built, the only soldier who was issued his own little boat. Somehow, over the next four years, he met a woman named Rosanna Marks, but there's no record of her birth, their marriage, or her death. 
Only the two daughters they produced, little Rosanna and Abigail, show up in historical records, daughters who were never baptized until Eleanor Lafleur came into their lives. Eleanor must have been a devout Catholic because when she and William had their first child together, on the day of his baptism, William's two daughters with Rosanna were also baptized Catholic. Even though they were already grown young women, Eleanor's age, and William was an Episcopalian. If you look at the tenant map of the island back in 1861, you'll see the Cassidy name there on a spit of land facing Wolf Island, with Cassidy Point at the tip and Cassidy Bay hugging their property. Their log cabin is still there, renovated a few years back by its new owners. If you look again on the map, you'll see the land of Martin Quinn from Waterford, Ireland, and land belonging to John Graham from County Mayo, Ireland. The Grahams, the Cassidys, and the Quinns, all living together there on Howe Island. The search for those three families Jetta wanted us to always remember end here on this tiny island. William and Eleanor's daughter, Marianne Cassidy, would marry John Graham, and their son would go on to marry the daughter of Martin Quinn's son, Ellen Quinn and Joseph Patrick Graham, the parents of my grandfather and Jetta's father, Howard Graham. The Grahams would eventually move from Howe Island, and most of the Cassidys would too. But many of the Quinns stayed, and there are still Quinns living on Howe Island today. In 1949, Jetta and her family were left some land there on Howe Island when two Quinn bachelor brothers passed away. Jetta, along with the rest of her Graham family, sold the land back to the Quinns. When I asked my mother how much she sold her land for, she shrugged and said, a dollar Canadian, which is less than an American dollar. Papa used to just shake his head when he heard that story, saying the Grahams were damn fools to sell the land. You don't sell land, he always said. That could be worth a million dollars someday. Well, <laughs> Papa was right. Many African cultures believe that ancestors never die, never lose their connection with the living, that their energy is still there supporting us, pushing us, and loving us. I can't say I ever thought about things like that when I was younger. I'm not sure I would have even thought that that was possible. But a funny thing happened to me a couple of years ago on my first trip to Canada to research all of these family stories. One night, as we were traveling on the Queen Mary II, as the ship was entering Canadian waters, I reached into our mini bar for a beer. The usual brands were there, Heineken's, a Guinness, even a Bud. But tucked deep in the back was a label I didn't recognize. I reached in and pulled the bottle out to take a closer look. It was a brand I'd never seen before, until I suddenly remembered something my mother had told me about her father. My father loved to drink his San Miguel beer. It was the only beer he ever drank, she told me. It was a brand I'd never heard of before, and I'd never seen one until that night on the Queen Mary II when I reached into that mini bar and there it was, a cold bottle of San Miguel beer. It might have been a coincidence, but I never saw another bottle in Canada and I haven't seen one since. 
Have you?